0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and we are moving into part two of our series, How Do You Know? And today, we're going to be asking a really exciting question that we're often asked, we often think about when something happens to loved ones or to ourselves. This question goes in our mind, which is, How do I know Jesus is the only way to heaven? And so, in light of all the different religions, is Jesus really The only way to heaven? Well, the early Christians thought so. And so the question is should modern Christians believe Jesus is the only way? And so Pastor Dave is going to unpack this in episode two of our series, How Do You Know? And so without further ado, why don't we jump into this episode as we dive deep in answering this question?
1: So, how do you know Jesus is the only way to heaven? How do you know that Jesus is the only way to experience life? That is truly life? This is the question that we're gonna ask today. And it's a really good question in light of the fact that there are so many different religions and worldviews on planet Earth throughout history. If you look at this pie chart, we looked at this last week. Um, You know, Christianity makes up less than one-third of all of the world religions. You have multiple worldviews, multiple beliefs, multiple approaches to God. And on one hand, it makes sense that there would be multiple paths to heaven, right? I mean, if God is a merciful God, if he's a good God, um, then surely he would make more ways, more avenues to reach him. How could he be so exclusive? How could he be so narrow? There has got to be more than just one way. To heaven. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, in order to talk about this issue, I really do need to rely on one of the gospel accounts written by the apostle John. This is one of Jesus's very best friends. He wrote an account of Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection. If you were with us last week, I sort of did my best shot to lay down the reasons why I believe the gospels are reliable. If you were not here last week, let me just give you a quick overview of last week's message. Jesus died around 30 AD, rose from the dead, and then the church was started. Um, As early as we can tell, about 45 AD, so 15 years, probably a little later than that, 20, 30, maybe 40 years after the resurrection of Christ, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John sat down and they wrote the biographies of Jesus. Um, I believe that it's highly likely that the gospel accounts were written prior to 70 AD because that was the destruction of Jerusalem. That was this cataclysmic event. The gospels do not talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, hence my belief that they happened before 70 AD. But there are lots of scholars that would say it was a little bit later than that. Now, last week we talked about um, Tacitus and Pliny, who were these two um, romans non-christians who spoke about the life of jesus and there was also a man named josephus who wrote about the destruction of jerusalem in 70 a.d he also wrote about the life of jesus so we know that we have at least seven accounts of the life of jesus four accounts the gospels that speak of all the details of jesus's life his, his death his burial and his resurrection now for us modern westerners it's a little bit strange to think, well, why are there only four gospel accounts? Um, actually, in the ancient world, it's quite amazing that there are only four gospel accounts. If you consider the fact that Tiberius Caesar, who was the Roman emperor, the most powerful man on planet earth at the time, there are only four accounts of his life, and there is not as much content on Tiberius's life as there is of Jesus's life. So that's amazing that this day laborer from Nazareth who was crucified on a Roman cross, that there are four accounts. And Luke tells us, as we looked at last week, that many people have undertaken the, the responsibilities to draw up an account of the life of Jesus. So there could have been more than four accounts. Maybe they were lost at some point, but we are so blessed to actually have four accounts of the life of Jesus plus Pliny um, plus uh, Tacitus, as well as Josephus, there is just not much evidence in the entire uh, history of the first century of anybody else. So it's remarkable that we have these accounts of the life of Jesus. And I just have to say this, that at the end of the service last week, I had somebody come up to me at the end of the 11 o'clock service, and she's, I think she's maybe in her 70s. She's one of those senior saints that I just love so much. And she came up to me, and she said, Dave, I just want to thank you so much for your sermon because I believed all my life that I needed to defend the entire Bible, but now I know that that's not true. And here's here's what she was essentially saying, and I tried to communicate this last week, that the Bible, go back, the Bible never came into existence until about 388 after Diocletian's great persecution in 295 AD, right? So up until Constantine... Most Christians did not have the Bible or the Christian Bible as we know it, Genesis through Revelation. They were dependent on oral tradition. They were dependent on the stories of Jesus. If you were lucky, you would show up at your house church on a Sunday morning at like 5 a.m. to sing hymns to God and to worship him, and the elder would stand up. Pastors in those days were called elders, and he would read from the gospel of Matthew, or he'd read from John or Luke, and you would say. Wow, we're so lucky to be able to show up and listen to the account of the life and the teaching, and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, all that to say is our, the foundation of our faith is not the Bible, right? Though I believe, and let me be clear about this. I believe that, as N.T. Wright says, that we have the Bible exactly as God wants us to have the Bible in all of its complexities and all of its richness. That's what God wanted us to have from Genesis. To Revelation. It is true. It is the word of God. It is amazing. It is defensible. And people like N.T. Wright and scholars who have gone before us have dedicated their lives to defending the scriptures, both the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament scriptures. But, and this is huge, our faith, or the foundation of our faith, is not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is the identity of Jesus. In other words, our faith rises and falls on the identity of Jesus, the life, the teachings, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what changed the world. That's when 53% of the Roman Empire bowed their knees to Jesus before there was even the Bible. And that's really, really good news for us, because as I said in the first services, we had a bunch of high school students sitting up here, and I looked straight at them, and I said, look, when you go to university, specifically maybe a non-Christian university, you're going to have some professors trying to poke holes in your faith and say, yeah, well, what about the flood? It doesn't seem to be evidence that there's a flood, or there's no evidence that this massive group of Hebrews walked through the Red Sea onto dry ground and went into the promised land, or what about evolution, and what about all the contradictions? They say in the Bible, and all of those can be defended, and brilliant scholars have gone before us and defended it, but our faith is dependent not on being able to answer all of those questions. Our faith is dependent on the identity of Jesus Christ, and that's really, really good news because the early Christians, all they had had was oral tradition, and if they were lucky, they could show up with a copy of the gospel of Jesus Christ combined with the powerful Holy Spirit that indwelt them and it changed an empire and it changed the world and it it can continue to change the world today. I mean, the strategy that the apostle Paul used, you read the New Testament, right? He would go into a synagogue where they believed that the Jewish scriptures were the word of God. He would quote the Old Testament as pointing to this savior, this Messiah, Jesus, Even the early apostles, when they were in the temple courts, would quote the Old Testament. And then you look at the apostle Paul when he would go outside of Israelite territory or outside where there um, were more Gentiles and pagan worshipers. We see this in Acts chapter 17. He goes up to the Greek Areopagus where people are debating ideas about God, the Stoics and the Epicurean philosophers. And, And he would not quote any Jewish scriptures, but rather... He would focus on the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on that day, all those people said, I'll see you later, Greek guys, Epicurean philosophers. I'm following Paul. I'm following Jesus. And again, it literally changed the world. So I believe with all my heart that the gospels of Jesus Christ are credible and that Jesus can change And so what I want to look at today as we answer this question, is Jesus the only way? Is he the only way to heaven? And is he the only way that you can find life that is truly life? Jesus said, I came to give you an abundant life, right? A good life. Um, This is recorded in John's gospel as we uh, attempt to answer this question. Right before Gethsemane, right before Jesus gets arrested, later crucified, um, he's with his guys, right? These are some of the final words that Jesus said. He looks at his guys and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, also trust in me. Now this word trust is the Greek word pastua, which means to place confidence in. It's more than just a mental attestation to yes, I believe you. It's, I'm actually gonna give you my life. I'm gonna give you everything I got because I believe that that you are the savior. Um, One of my... uh, Favorite New Testament characters is a man named Thomas. And uh, Thomas is one of those guys that was like all or nothing. He was like, ent- he was a visual learner. So I can kind of relate with him. It's like, I need to see it, I need to touch it in order to really understand it. And there's only like three stories about Thomas in the entire New Testament. One of them is when Jesus is about to go to Judea, and Thomas is, the disciples are like, I don't know if we want to go to Judea because last time they almost killed you. And Thomas goes, we will go with you and we will die with you. The other place where Thomas shows up in the New Testament is when the disciples say, hey, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He appeared to us behind locked doors. He's risen from the grave. And Thomas says, yeah, right. Unless I touch the scars and touch his side, I'm not going to believe, right? And then Thomas leaves, and he goes, and he starts an English muffin company and starts trains and those sort of things. And then a week later, right, a week later, Thomas is gathered with the disciples, and Jesus shows up, and Thomas touches his scars, and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to the disciples on that day, because you have seen me, you have believed Because y'all see me in the flesh and you can touch me, you can hear from me, you believe. But, this is a great statement blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was talking to you, and he was talking to me, the Christians that would come years later who have not had the privilege and the blessing of touching Jesus in the flesh. But he would say, You put your faith in me, you trust me, you will be blessed. That's why I say all the time, if you follow Jesus, you might get burned at the stake. I can't guarantee that. But your life will be better. Think about the greatest regrets in your life. Think about your greatest regrets. If you had been following Jesus during that season of your life, you may not have those regrets. So Jesus says, blessed are those who will come after us and put their not just belief in me, but put their trust in me. All right, back to John 14 where Jesus is with his guys right before Gethsemane. Do not let your hearts be troubled? Put your confidence in me. Trust also in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am You know the way to the place where I am going. And I love Thomas, because Thomas is like, he's thinking what you guys are thinking right now. You're like, I don't get it. Like, what's Jesus talking about? I'm confused. So he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I I, I don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus responds with what I think is one of the top five most important verses in the entire Bible. I think you should memorize this verse So that when you're speaking with someone who has this question, you can just pull it out, right? Let's all say this together. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, look, I know there's multiple beliefs out there. But I'm telling you, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to experience life that is truly life, the road is narrow and it goes through me. Now, As Jesus often does when you read the New Testament, is he uses wedding imagery, right? It's another word, Jesus is saying, you're invited to the wedding. Do you guys remember a couple weeks ago when I showed up with a white tuxedo to demonstrate the righteousness of Christ? Like when you put your faith in Christ, not based on your works, but your faith, you're made white, like dazzling white. You never forgot that tuxedo, right? You never forgot that day where you saw your bride coming down that narrow road and she was dressed in dazzling, unblemished beauty. It's a picture of what Christ does to us when we put our faith in him. Jesus is using wedding language here. So when he talks about preparing a place for you, everybody's thinking, oh yeah, I remember when my one friend who met this woman that he loved prepared a room that was right next to his parents' room, right? In those days, everybody could do construction, so they'd build a little house onto their parents' house, and then when they were done, they'd go get married, and then they'd bring their bride back to that room that they had prepared, right? I kind of did the same thing. I'm not much of a builder, but I can paint. So I bought a house about five years before we got married. We fixed up the floors, fixed up the walls, and then a few months later, I was standing up front at a church just like this, and I saw my beautiful bride walk down the narrow road, right? And she's about to commit herself to me. And when the pastor says, do you take this man to be your uh, husband for life? She didn't say, well, I'll take him and the other five guys he's got standing up there just in case it doesn't work out with him, right? If she had said that, I would say, I mean, this is over. Like, let's just go eat some cake and enjoy the food that's there. But we're not, we're not going through this because it's like either me or we're not doing this, right? So Jesus is like, I'm, I'm the way, and when it gets tough, the going gets tough, right? I mean, some of you can relate to this. My first year of marriage was, like, easy. I mean, I had, I had no stress. We were doing ministry together. Life was good. I'm like, oh, this marriage thing's easy. It's good. And then the second year of marriage, I'm like, what have we done? I mean, I got all this selfishness boiling up inside of me. I'm like, I thought I was a better person than I actually am because you know, all that selfishness comes up. And, but here's the thing. I knew I was committed. I knew it was a narrow road. I knew I was the only one. She was the only one. I'm going to place my trust that this is going to work out. And when we reach some hard times and some difficult passages, it's like, no, this is the way. This is the narrow road. This is how it worked with the early church too. You read the book of Acts and Jesus rises from the dead. Right? And uh the disciples are sharing everything, all their belongings, all their possessions. They're sharing with one another. Nobody has any needs. They're sharing their finances. They go to the temple courts, and the apostles are teaching. Everybody's on fire. People are getting healed. God's adding to their number daily. And then, dun, 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 they show up in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Pharisees begin to question them, and they say, what are you doing? We thought we got rid of this guy, Jesus. Now you're telling everybody he's come back from the dead, and all of the sudden, for the apostles, they, they realize well, the honeymoon doesn't last forever. It's about to go down. It, it's about to get difficult. So it, it's it's so powerful. You've got John and Peter who are standing in front of the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, who just 50 days earlier had condemned Jesus to death. Peter, who 50 days earlier did not even know in Jesus, now looks at the Sanhedrin and he says, you put the author of life to death. You crucified him, but he defeated death and rose from the, the grave. And then he makes this statement that is so huge. It says, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he looks at the Sanhedrin. He says this, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And you say, Peter, that is a narrow view. That is, I mean, that's risky because they might whip you. They might put you to death. But Peter would say, yeah, but I was there when Jesus said he was the one way. I was there when he claimed to have the one way to heaven and the one way to life. And I believe this with all my heart, even if it means I'm going to lose my life. And this next verse is so good. This is one of the reasons I love preaching. I love this passage. I love this next verse. When the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, you got all these big dogs there. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What if people said that about you? What if they said that about me? You know what, I, I don't know what they believe. It seems a little superstitious, seems a little strange that they gather together and sing songs. And but man, there's just, I can tell they've been with Jesus. They got a little more peace. I, I, I think they know Jesus. I was uh, Friday morning, I was in here kind of going over my sermon, and I thought to myself, you know, we're so blessed to have so many people with this church who know Jesus, that have been with Jesus. And I thought, you know, you should have your kids in children's church and you should have your kids in youth group because our faith is an intellectually robust faith. But if it's only an intellectual faith and you don't experience the power of Christ through fellowship of believers through the church, you're going to miss out. So you got to be around people who have been with Jesus right? So I was thinking about this on a Friday morning, about all the people in this church who inspire me by the way they live their lives for Jesus. And then I heard a little voice out in the hallway. And I said, I need to bring that person into the the worship center. It was Marsha Lineman. She teaches our our children's ministry. She's been a part of this church for decades. And we sat at the front row there. And um, I forgave her for being an Ohio State fan, so we moved past that. And then I said to her, I said, Marsha, she's sitting right here. I said, how do you know that Jesus is the only way? How do you know that he is the one person who can really give you life? She gave me permission to quote her. She she said this, when I was going through cancer, my hope, it wasn't in the doctors, but it was in Jesus. He was with me. She talked about how he gave her the peace that surpassed all understanding. And when life gets difficult, that's when we really know. How do you know is the title of this series. That's when you really know what you believe. When life gets difficult. If we go back to this verse again, um, this word ordinary, interestingly, is the Greek word idiotes. Dan and Elaine Miller, when they were up here talking about marriage, talked about the fact that we're all idiots, which can be translated a common man or a common woman. It can also be translated an unlearned, illiterate man. It's possible, we don't know this for a fact, it's possible that Peter could have been illiterate. Think about that. The leader of the early church may not have even been able to read, but he was fueled by the fact that he saw a risen Christ and he was indwelt with the power of Of the Holy Spirit. So I I just think it's awesome that we have people who can say, look, not only is Jesus the way, the truth, if we go to the next slide, and the life, he is truly the one way that gives us abundant life. He is truly the only one who can give us life that is truly life. Let's go to the next slide, Rob. Jesus is either the way or no way, In other words, you can't say, well, he's one of the ways because that would be inconsistent. He claimed to be the way, right? C.S. Lewis famously said he's either a liar or he's a lunatic, which makes him not worthy of following, or he is the one true way because he claimed to be the one true way, right? I mean, think about this. Every worldview... Believes that their take on spiritual reality is the one way. Right? And so the question is is Jesus right about what he said or is he wrong? I mean, look at this. All of the, the religions essentially say the same thing, right? Islam says we believe that the prophet Muhammad received this message from God and said, I'll tell you what spiritual reality is, like Buddhism, all the different religions, the pagan systems, the Roman and the Greek God system, they all said, here's a prophet, and he's going to show you the way to God. Christianity is so much different than that, isn't it? Because Jesus said, I am God, come to find you. I am God, God in the flesh, and I'm here to pursue you. And not only did he say it, but he demonstrated it by stretching his arms out to die on a Roman cross, to forgive you of your sins that you might receive the righteousness of Christ. Whoever clapped, we should all just clap because that's just amazing, isn't it? So if you look at this pie chart, you ask yourself the question, yeah, but what about all these religions? I I just want you to put yourself in the mind of... a early Christian in the year 300 AD because this was the worst moment of persecution in the empire under Diocletian who said, you got to turn in all your Christian books. You got to bow your knee to the emperor, burn incense to the emperor, worship him as divine. And if you don't do that, we are going to torture you. So let's just say you could go back into time in the city of Rome around the year 300 AD and you meet with a man who's sitting in prison awaiting his execution. And you go up to him and you say, are you you sure you believe Jesus is the only way? You really want to stake your claim on that? I mean, you're about to get executed. I mean, aren't you aware of all the other worldviews? Aren't you aware of all of the scholars who have tried to demonstrate that there are contradictions in the scriptures and that there's no worldwide flood and that the exodus out of Egypt never happened? Aren't you aware of all of the work that scholars have done and again, I believe those can be defended. I believe we have a robust faith that Genesis through Revelation is the word of God. But in that moment, that person who lives in 300 AD, who's living before the Bible, might say something like this. appreciate you visiting me. It means a lot that you would come back from 2022. And I know you've got questions, but I just want you to know that I live in a world where of the people are trying to figure out an approach to God. And 90% of the people are offering all these sacrifices to idols in hopes that that the gods would keep the lightning at bay and give me blessings and send the rain. Most of the people I do life with, that I walk with and, and do business with, believe that there's all kinds of different ways. But I'll tell you, I met some people in church on a Sunday morning who got up early while it was still dark and sang songs to a Savior and told me about the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And they really did love one another and they shared their stuff. And they didn't speak badly about the emperor, but they prayed for. Him. And those people changed my small community. And I even know some of them who were burned at the stake last week. So you got questions about the Bible, and you've got difficult issues with the scriptures, and, and that's fine. But I know who Jesus is, and I've met him, and I've experienced him, and he changed my life. So thanks for visiting me. I'm about to go get burned at the stake, and I'm about to meet my Savior. And I know, I know that Look, this sermon and this series isn't going to answer all of your questions. Some of you got this question: What about about those who have never even heard the good news? What about people in North Africa where 99% of the people follow Islam? What about people in a little remote island in the middle of the Pacific who they speak a language where the Gospels have never been translated? What about those people? Here's my response to that. If you're part of this local church... You are part of a denomination that about 140 years ago took very, very seriously this call to reach the nations, to make disciples of all the nations. Beartown Road Alliance Church, our denomination from the beginning, said we are going to spend energy and efforts getting the gospel overseas to the least reached people groups of the world. And today we've got about 700 international workers who are learning the languages so that they can speak the good news of Jesus Christ. This is amazing that 80% of our international workers are doing ministry in what's called the 1040 window home to more than 80% of the world's remaining unreached peoples. We as a denomination are doing this. We can't answer all the questions that people have, but we know that Jesus gave us a task to reach people because we really, really do believe that Jesus is the only way. We really believe that Jesus can give you life that is truly life, the abundant life that he called us to.
0: Well, there it is. I hope that you feel encouraged. I hope that you feel excited that Jesus truly is the only way to heaven. He is the only one that has the ability to save us, to forgive us from sin so that we can be with him, with God forever and forever. And so until we're together again, I just want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.